0: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We ask that uh, you would pour out your Holy Spirit this morning and teach us what you would want us to learn. We ask that you would be with Pastor Mike this morning as he preaches your word. Help him to articulate it clearly and boldly. We ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. So Luke chapter 5, starting with verse 1, God's word says, On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake. But the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon.
1: Well, it is good to see all of you this morning. We uh, have been on vacation, had some wonderful time away. And while I was gone, they uh, turned, up the, turned up the outdoor thermostat. Uh, I see it has been pretty toasty, uh, trying to stay cool. Uh, but uh, it is good to be back with the church family here and good to be back home. Uh, this summer, we have spent a lot of time near the water. Um, Our daughter, Gracie, has done swim team, and so we've spent time near the pool. Any of you parents who have done swim team, how many of you raise your hands? You know how much time you spend around the pool at swim meets and so forth. We've also spent time uh, at the ocean where we were just uh, last week or two weeks ago uh, on our vacation. And one of the things that I've noticed is the huge contrast between the role of the lifeguards uh, at the public pool here in Auburn versus the role of the lifeguards at the beach. Uh, Several uh, mornings as I was uh, taking Gracie to the pool uh, early in the morning, I would see a lifeguard in her stand there or his stand uh, at the pool uh, in Auburn, right over there off of Auburn Folsom Road. And uh, believe it or not, it would actually be cold in the morning. That may be hard for you to believe, but uh, just not too many weeks ago, it was cold early in the morning, and the lifeguard would have uh, sweatpants on and a sweatshirt on and maybe maybe even a cup of coffee in his or her hand. And it was just pretty obvious that they weren't expecting to be going in the water at any moment, that they were not going to be actively doing a rescue. On the other hand... As we were at uh, Zuma Beach in Malibu with my wife's large extended family these last, uh, we were there for a week, about a week and a half ago, Uh, every day we uh, traveled there, and the lifeguards there have a a completely different uh, role that they're playing. Uh, Back in the lifeguard stands, there's a lifeguard with binoculars, and that lifeguard is evaluating uh, the, the conditions of the water and the capabilities of the swimmer. Swimmers out there or boogie boarders or surfers or whatever you have out there. And that, uh, that person's got a radio and they're radioing to, to lifeguards that are on the water's edge with their fins in one hand. And, and they're ready like a dolphin to just go through those waves uh, to go and get someone before uh, they get into trouble. They also have a boat that sits outside the break for uh, people that might drift out uh, beyond the break and need uh, to be rescued. We had, for the first time this year, someone from our family, our five, uh, our household, uh, get picked up uh, in that boat. My son, Mark, was on his boogie board, and he kind of got out there pretty far, and he had no fins on, and they're looking at his uh, size and so forth, and Mark had no idea that he was in trouble. He's just out there on his boogie board, and all of a sudden, before I could get there, the uh, lifeguard boat zooms in, they pick him up, and bring him uh, to safety. So there's this huge contrast between the role of the lifeguards uh, here and the lifeguards in a situation at the beach where the, the current and the waves and the, the riptides are, are active. And I want to suggest to us this morning that there is a, a correlation, there are some parallels between the roles of a lifeguard and the roles of us as believers, as part of God's church. Uh, we have a mission Uh, Just as they do, they have a mission to save and to rescue lives. And we have a mission, uh, similarly, in the eternal realm, in the spiritual realm, to rescue people with the gospel. Uh, Our mission is to make disciples, which includes bringing people to Christ who are without him, and also coming alongside Christians and encouraging them and praying for them and coming alongside. And I want to ask you this morning, as you look at your own life uh, is, is your life more like that lifeguard in the stand who um, you know, has the role of lifeguard? They're in the stand, they're there, but there's not a lot of activity. There's not a lot of anticipation. There's a, not a, a lot of getting wet, of getting in the water and doing the actual task. And I think that's the place, unfortunately, where many of us find ourselves, that we are not uh, diving into the water, we're not being bold with the gospel, we're not coming alongside other believers and blessing them and bringing them to maturity in the faith. The good news is that Jesus is all about moving people, moving Christians from one place to another, from a place of inactivity to a place of activity. And that's what we're going to see today in this final chapter in John's gospel. Just a few chapters ago, we have Peter denying the Lord Jesus. Uh, not once, not twice, not three times. Uh, it's not a picture of an active faith. It's, it's a picture of, of embarrassment, of shame, of confusion after Jesus' arrest. But just a few chapters later, we see a very different Peter. And it is just a beautiful picture that we're going to see today. And I believe that God has things to say to us from this chapter. Let's pray before we get uh, right into uh, his word here. Let's, let's bow our heads again. Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you that it speaks into our lives powerfully. I ask now that your Holy Spirit would be at work, that the word would be applied in ways that I could never anticipate or think of. So we're asking for for your grace, Lord Jesus. We're asking for the power of the Holy Spirit now to work through the word of God. As we sit through sermons uh, week after week, Lord, it's easy to kind of be in that kind of apathetic role and just be in our lifeguard stand but have, have no uh, inkling of actually acting, of actually doing things to expand your kingdom. And we pray today that you would move uh, each of us, that you would inspire us, that you would change us by the power of your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are in John chapter 21, so if you want to flip over there, if you're still in Luke, if you don't have a Bible with you, there are Bibles in the chairs in front of you. And I wanted to say to the kids, this is going to be the last Sunday that you're going to be in during the sermon. Next Sunday, for our younger children, we'll be dismissing them. So kids, I've got an, uh, an outline or actually kind of a quiz or questions for you to follow along with, and I'm going to give you at least uh, four of these five answers here um, as we go. So kids, you might want to get one, get that out Uh, so that you can track with me. But let's take a look at John chapter 21, beginning at verse 1. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. And let me actually just pause here for a second and just kind of set. uh, I've been traveling. We've been out of town. A lot of you have. So let me just kind of set the stage of where we are. Obviously, we're at the end of John's gospel. But what has happened? If we turn back a couple pages, we see that there was the arrest. And then we have Peter's uh, three denials in chapter 18. Jesus is uh, sentenced in chapter 19, crucified, uh, dies in chapter 19, and is buried. And then in chapter 20 and 21, we have the resurrection. And Jesus has appeared to his disciples on two different occasions before we get to 21, verse 1. And this is the third and the longest post-resurrection account that we have here in John 21. So back to verse 1 now. After Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, it happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called Didymus, Nathanael from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them, and they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. So uh, Randall uh, Hensley heard that I was talking about fishing today, so he was excited about this morning's sermon, but we see here right at the outset that the disciples caught nothing uh, during the nighttime. Uh, Kids, there were seven disciples. Uh, This is the first of your questions here to follow along, and we see John, who's very detailed, gives us the the names of of most of these people. We uh, We have Simon Peter, we have Thomas. We have uh, Nathaniel, We have the sons of Zebedee, which are James and John. And then two other disciples, and we're not told which one. So that gives us a total of seven. Peter is going out to fish. We probably shouldn't read too much into this. Like, we shouldn't read that they've given up uh, hope in Christ or anything like that. Uh, this is what these men did. This was uh, their vac- vocation. This was um, how they provided for their families. And so they're, they're out fishing, even after these resurrection appearances have already happened. So the other disciples go with him, and we'll notice, uh, kids, your second thing on your outline, that they're fishing at night. Uh, we uh, fishermen today, we tend to think the early morning dawn hours or evening hours are the time to fish, but uh, back in the ancient, ancient world, in the ancient Near East and in the New Testament, uh, they fished at night. And so maybe I need to try fishing at night. Last time... Uh, I went just a few weeks ago. Uh, My two nephews showed me up, and I didn't get any fish. But here they are fishing all night. That's when they thought uh, is the best time to catch fish, and they get uh, absolutely nothing. So that's uh, zero. How many fish did they catch here at night? They caught none. But look at what happens in verse 4. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. Now this is interesting, and we see this many times in these post-resurrection appearances of Jesus, that they have trouble recognizing him. Let me just say a couple things here about how, uh, how this plays out. Uh, th- the way this works for you and I, when we die, uh, our soul or our spirit goes immediately into the presence of God if we are a believer in the Lord Jesus. We, we know this from a variety of passages in Scripture, including the thief on the cross, where Jesus says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. But of course, our bodies don't go immediately uh, to heaven. But at some point, when Jesus comes back, there is going to be a resurrection of the dead. And in some miraculous way, even those bodies that have decomposed and decayed, somehow they are going to be resurrected and reunited, and we are going to be glorified humans. And that is the condition that Jesus is in here in these post-resurrection appearances. And they frequently have trouble identifying it. So why this is, the scripture doesn't really tell us. I like to think we're going to be just really astonishing looking and powerful and beautiful and all that. But we don't know. But they have trouble recognizing um, who he is. We know that we're going to be perfect and we're going to be humans in heaven uh, in a, in a glorified sense, in a perfect sense. And this is, this is what the condition that Jesus is in. They do not realize it's him. He's calling out to them, and they have trouble even later recognizing him, as we'll see uh, some verses later. So he calls out to them in verse 5, Friends, haven't you any fish? Uh, no, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. So they don't recognize who Jesus is. The boat is out from shore, and he suggests they throw their nets on the right side of the boat, and he makes it possible for them to catch all of these fish. Jesus does, even though they don't recognize yet who he is. So they are unknowingly obeying Jesus. And I want to say just a couple things here uh, about this. He tells them to throw their nets on the right side of the boat. They're obviously very close to shore. We learn uh, a few verses later that they're about 100 yards from shore. So you can imagine this kind of screaming going back and forth. This, this person they don't recognize on the, on the shore is telling the expert fisherman just 100 yards off to throw their nets. I, I've got to think this is not the spot or the time that they think they are going to catch a load of fish, but they obey him. And I think there's something that John wants us to see here, because very often or sometimes in our lives, Jesus' commands appear to us to be unusual. They even appear to be unhelpful. We tend to think sometimes that his commands for us from his word, you know, just maybe don't apply exactly to me or in this situation. We think sometimes that we know uh, better than he I remember many years ago um, I, I was I was preaching a Sunday in our previous uh, congregation family uh, a couple actually came to church their first Sunday, and they came up to me. I, I think it was that particular Sunday or they may have uh, the husband may have called me the next day, but I remember very quickly after that the uh, the uh, soon to be husband he wasn 't a husband yet uh, saying, "I want you to marry us and and I, this is we felt called to this place and and pastor, we want you to marry us. And so I started meeting with this couple, and we started talking and realized that they, had, uh, they were already living together and explained to them about God's word and how things work and how they, they need to strive for purity and how they needed to, to move out. And they had all kinds of responses about how that would be unpractical, how that's kind of an unusual thing to do. It's going to be hard for us. It's gonna, we're not going to be able to communicate. It's going to be hard for us financially. So God's commands sometimes look unusual or unwelcome or unhelpful, but they are always right. Uh, It is always right to obey Jesus' commands, even here where the disciples don't know that they're obeying his command to throw the the net on the other side of the fish. So back to uh, verse 6. When they did this, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. There is this massive, massive amount of fish As Christians, we don't lose anything when we obey Jesus. This is another lie that the enemy has for us, that if we obey him that we may miss out, we may lose something. This may be a waste of time, uh, the fishermen might have been thinking. But the reality is we lose nothing when we obey him. And then look at verse 7. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved uh, says to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord. He wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. So we see a couple things here about the personalities of John and of Peter. John is discerning. He recognizes who Jesus is. He's the first one. But I just love Peter's response. I mean, he's, Peter is probably in his, um, in his uh, fishing swimsuit. Um, hopefully it's uh, board shorts and, and not a speedo, but he's, he's not dressed really appropriately, I think, to meet the King of Kings, to meet the Messiah, the Creator, his mentor, Jesus. And so I think what's happening here is he's grabbing his clothes... And he is so excited to be in the presence of Jesus. He loves Jesus so much, he recognizes who he is. He can't wait for this little boat that's being burdened down with all of these fish to get to the shore. And so the fisherman, with all of the fish there, jumps out of the boat and has to be the first one to come into the presence of Jesus. Isn't this a beautiful, a beautiful picture um, of love for Christ? Uh, Don't you want to have that kind of love for Christ? That you would put aside custom and expectations and, and, and just your fish and just, just swim. Or maybe it was shallow. Maybe he's waiting. I'm just picturing him. You know, maybe his, maybe his clothes, we don't know, are over his head and, and they're dry. Or maybe he had to swim this last hundred yards as they're trying to bring the boat in. We have this beautiful picture of this love for Jesus Christ in Peter's life. And I want to take a, a, a little bit of time here. I want us to, to, to think about uh, Peter here because we want to have the same kind of passion and love and pursuit of Jesus uh, that we see uh, in Peter. How do we do that? How do we have the kind of passion? How do, we, how do we get to a point where we're doing spontaneous things to expand God's kingdom, to glorify God that are, that are, that are just beautiful, uh, whether it's sharing the gospel with someone, Uh, Whatever it may be, there's a thousand different things that we could we could do uh, to show our love for Christ. But I want to mention four different ways, things, uh, means of grace, as it were, that God uses to that can bring our hearts to a place where we would have this kind of love for Him. And the first one is uh, that we need. uh, Peter was close to Jesus. So what I'm really talking about here is how do we get close to Jesus? Peter was close to him because it was during his earthly ministry. He traveled with him. He was his friend, not just his Savior. For us, he's our Savior, but we don't walk with him in the sense uh, physically that Peter did. But one of the things that we have to do is we have to uh, saturate ourselves with the Word of God. We are not going to have this kind of spontaneous and bold displays of, of love for Christ in our lives if we are not... Um, close to Jesus by uh, studying the Gospels, by studying the Word of God. The problem for many of us, and I fall into this, I think we all fall into this, is neglecting the Word of God. I want you to take a look at this uh, brief uh, video here about neglecting the Scriptures. We're going to have the kind of love that Peter has here. We've got to be men and women, boys and girls, who are getting to know Jesus through the Word of God. Uh, I would suggest if you don't have a plan for getting into the Scriptures, that you get a plan. And it doesn't have to be any particular plan. Uh, It could be a commitment this morning that you make as we uh, celebrate the Lord's Supper later in the service. Maybe you would have a time of prayer and a commitment to the Lord that you're going to spend 15 minutes in the Scriptures every day. Something as simple as that. Or perhaps you need to find one of the many Bible plans that are out there and, uh, and get a hold of one of those and just jump in instead of waiting till January 1st or something like that. Jump in uh, this week. I know for Michelle and I, the uh, Bible reading plan has been really helpful uh, for us. Um, there are times when we are in God's Word when there's just it just seems like not a lot happens. It's kind of dry. Anybody... Anybody had those experiences? But I find that when we have a plan, and we're faithful, not perfectly faithful, we miss and, and so forth, but when we have a plan, God honors that, and he opens our eyes to, to portions of his word that we otherwise would neglect, and we wouldn't see at all. And, and he, he, just, he just grabs a hold of, of, of certain passages and, and uh, speaks to us in, in powerful ways, and he's done that for, for Michelle and I and, uh, and for our family. Uh, just uh, some weeks ago, maybe it was a month or so ago, um, our reading plan had us in the Psalms. And uh, I don't want to spend too much time there. And you don't need to turn here, but in fact, we won't even go, we won't even go there at all. But at the end of Psalm 142, I'll just share with you a portion of that uh, where the psalmist David says, set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. Set me free from my prison that I may praise your name. And those verses and, and a few others around there, in the end of Psalm 142, some, a month ago, when we were going through them, just kind of jumped off the page to us as we were finding ourselves uh, as mom and as dad and our kids as well, kind of getting into this prison of, of anger, of discouragement, of, of irritability. And just dwelling on that verse and just praying. We, we all memorize this verse as a family. We got it on the refrigerator, made little cards, and, and uh, it has just been a, a beautiful uh, last couple months, dwelling uh, in our hearts and minds on the end of Psalm 142, um, asking God to, to, uh, to let me out of this prison that I have, the temptations that I have. And, and, and when we come out of that, that prison of, of despair or discouragement or, or irritability, um, we, we move to a place of praising God and worship, worshiping Him. And it's just been a beautiful thing. So I want to commend to you uh, to, to get into the word, whatever plan, whatever system uh, it is. Uh, we still struggle. We need that word on our drive back from Southern California, 450-some miles from um, where we started in uh, Newport Beach, coming back uh, just a few weeks ago. Man, I was just not a great dad in the car. I planned on reading and doing things. Michelle did a lot of the driving. And, man, I was just, I was just pretty honorary, wasn't I, Mark? Was I? Gracie? Was I, was I kind of irritable in the car? What do you think? No comments. You can talk to them afterwards if you need testimony. Um, they were irritable too, but I was just a pain. Um, but I was able to, uh, before we get home, kind of s- had that, this verse dwelling in my mind and to move beyond uh, this place of, of frustration and anger of kids just being kids in the back seat and, uh, and so on. So I spent a lot of time on this point. What we're talking about here is how we get close to Jesus, how we have the kind of love that Peter has, that he would just do something that fishermen don't do, swimming or waiting to get into the presence of Jesus uh, immediately because of his love for him. It's, it's the word of God is going to be central to that. A second thing that we need to do is we have to get close to people who love Jesus. If you want to have this kind of, of a passion for Jesus, you, you, you need to intentionally be spending time with other people who love Jesus and who know him. And this can be phone conversations. This can be impromptu things. But one of the things that we've set up here at Cornerstone is our shepherd groups where we are intentionally scheduling time so that people who love Jesus can, can get together regularly as we get to know each other, get to know our strengths and spiritual gifts, and get to know our sins and weaknesses and pray for one another, open the Word of God together to speak to one another. I want to encourage you uh, to to be a part of one of these groups. We've got a brief uh, video uh, we're going to show you now. You might recognize some of the people uh, in this, but uh, just take take a moment and and, uh, take a look at this.
0: So kind of some families with older kids who have already blazed the trail, we can ask questions about stuff and then kind of bump heads too with people who have the same age kids. So that helps.
1: And it's it's just great to, you know, small groups kind of, That ability to have, I mean, that's what they're there for—is so you can, you know, really fellowship with uh, other people and and get to know them, and and really just kind of, you know, hold each other accountable, talk about where you are, and you know what you've, what you've been through, and 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 you know, it's just about sharing.
0: The body of Christ, and so any opportunity you
1: have to to get together and and you know really connect with the body of Christ, that's gonna just you know kind of foster more more growth and more love for Christ. So our shepherd groups are listed in our bulletins, and uh, if you're part of Cornerstone but not part of one of these uh, ongoing families, we've, uh, families, spiritual families, would encourage you to uh, to get into one of those by next week, as we're praying that we're gonna have new families. Uh, joining our congregation. Uh, We're praying for that. We're anticipating that. And we want our own people to be there and to be welcoming them. Part of the reason that we get involved in a shepherd group is not primarily so what we can get out of it, but what we can give, what we can do to bless and encourage uh, others with the gifts that God has given us. So we're talking about, we're applying uh, the Word of God here. We're talking about how we get to a place where Peter was, where we do spontaneous and bold things, getting close to Jesus, we do it by getting into his word, by getting close to others who know him and love him. And let's come back to the text, and we're going to look at a couple other uh, ways that uh, we do this. Let's see here. Where did, it, where did we leave off? Um, so verse 7 and 8, we have the identification of who he is. Let's pick it up at verse 9. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals there with fish on it and some bread. I love this picture, too. Uh, Jesus, you know, our video here of us having food, we do a lot more than eat at our shepherd group. But food is is really a central thing, a gathering for fellowship. Uh, Conversation about Jesus Christ around a meal is something that we see a lot of. And here we have it again. Jesus has burning coals, some fish already ready uh, for these disciples who have been out all night fishing. Look at verse 11. Simon Peter climbed aboard and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish. One hundred and fifty-three, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, "Come and have breakfast." I love that verse, and I have to think of my—I uh, think of my brother-in-law, my youngest brother-in-law, Michael. This is like his favorite verse in the Bible. I don't know why, but every breakfast he always quotes this: "Come and have breakfast." And he's just thinking of Jesus, and he just—I I just literally can't read this verse without talking about uh, my brother-in-law, Michael. Uh, But we see this great hospitality of Jesus. We see this amazing number of fish that is caught. And if you read commentaries and so forth, there's all kinds of conversations about what the significance of 153 are. And I'm going to spare you all the crazy uh, things that are there. Any fisherman knows that fishermen love to count their fish. The number of fish, the size of our fish. And I think what we have here is just that fishermen counted their fish. There were 153 of them, an outrageous number uh, of fish. I've been out in the Sea of Galilee. Um, that, that is, uh, this is called the Sea of Tiberias here, just another name for the Sea of Galilee. I've never seen that kind of, uh, it's hard to imagine this kind of quantity of fish coming uh, into nets, right? A hundred yards off of shore. So Jesus tells them to come and have breakfast, continuing in verse 12. None of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now, this seems, again, like an unusual statement the end of verse 12 here to us, but I think this, again, relates to his glorified condition and that there's, there's just kind of something going on in the way that they're viewing the glorified Jesus. Uh, verse 13, Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. Verse 15, when they had finished eating, Jesus said to Simon Peter, You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Now, this is a, a somewhat of a famous passage. It is a beautiful passage. I think the reason that Peter is, uh, is hurt, um, as the NIV puts it, the, the, the reason that he is sorrowful, the reason that he is sad here, is Jesus is calling attention to what has just happened a couple chapters previous, where Peter has denied Christ three times. But Jesus' intent here is not to make us sad or sorrow, but to give hope. Because Jesus is in the business of taking people who even would be denying Christ three times, emphatically denying him, taking him and restoring Peter to a place of passion and love for Christ that stands out from the other disciples. And now Jesus is entrusting him with the ministry of, of the word of God of equipping the sheep. That is what he is wanting us to see here. This is a beautiful transition, a beautiful restoration. So a third way that we get close to Jesus, what we see Peter doing here is telling Jesus that, that he loves him. He's telling him face to face. And for you and I, when we are praying, one of the things that should be a part of our prayer life is simply telling Jesus that we love him. You know, a father who doesn't look his son or daughter in the eyes directly and regularly say I love you there's problems there with that father some of us uh, have not heard our fathers uh, say that to us similarly as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ we should regularly be telling Jesus be telling the father be telling the holy spirit I love you as we are praying simply telling Jesus that we love him i want to suggest you you include this in your prayer life. We get close to him by telling him that we love him. Let's uh, look at a few more verses here, uh, picking it up in verse 18. So we've had this exchange. I'll, I'll say a couple other things about this exchange. Some of you are familiar. You've heard this preach probably several times. And there's a shift in the wording that is used in the, the word for love that Jesus uses. If you have an NIV or other translations as well, they bring out this Uh, This transition. Uh, The first time Jesus asked Peter, the NIV says, do you truly love me? Has the word truly. The second time, same thing. Do you truly love me? And this is to give the English reader an indication he's using a different word here. He's using the verb uh, agapao. And then Jesus switches to the verb phileo here the third time he asks him the question. And again, just like the 153 fish, there are all kinds of things that are made of this. And I think Jesus is just doing kind of a stylistic change here. I don't think there's a huge difference. What Jesus is drawing attention to is the three denials and the restoration. And do you really love me? And Peter is just saying, you know that I love you. You're not only omniscient, you not only know all things and you know my heart, but we've all just seen what he's done. The fisherman just jumped out of the boat in his bathing suit with his clothes above him to to go the last hundred yards to be in his presence. So we have an emphatic... Uh, declaration to the reader of John's gospel that Peter has has come to a new place of spiritual maturity and he loves Jesus and he loves him uh, so deeply I don't think that the change in words here is 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 really uh, something that we should make a whole lot about okay so back on to verse 18 now I tell you the truth when you were younger, this is Peter, or this is Jesus speaking to Peter, I tell you the truth, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And Now, thankfully, John gives us kind of the interpretation of what Jesus is saying here. What he said in verse 18, at the end, what he's saying in verse, John gives us the interpretation in verse 19. Jesus said this to indicate the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. Then he said to him, follow me. And we have this beautiful, uh, simple message of discipleship, of follow me, that connects back with the passage that Joe read earlier. This is the second time Jesus has done a miracle uh, of all of these massive catching, uh, these massive number of quantity of fish caught. The message the first time was early in Jesus' ministry, come and follow me. And now these mature disciples have not only understood the gospel, but they have seen they're in the presence of the risen king. They know the gospel. Peter is leading with this passion and love for Jesus Christ, and he is ready to follow him. And Jesus is prophesying about the kind of death that Peter's going to die, which is a death by crucifixion. It's not recorded in the Bible, but through church history and other documents, we, we know almost certainly that Peter died by crucifixion, upside down. And Jesus is saying here, uh, finally, that if you want to be close to me, you need to be willing to joyfully give up worldly things. And in Peter's case, the worldly thing he was giving up was his life. You need to be willing to give up your life, Peter. And Peter is willing to do that. And this is one of the parting messages that the gospel writer wants us to leave with. That to get close, uh, we get close to Jesus by joyfully giving up worldly things to advance his kingdom. These uh, are the kinds of of, uh, means of grace that God would use to bring us to a place of passion and joy and spontaneous acts of boldness, like jumping out of the boat to see Jesus that he wants to see in our lives. Let's bow our heads and pray. Ask God to help us to be uh, this kind of, of disciple. Father in heaven, we thank you for the word again. We thank you for this picture of of Peter, someone who, like us, uh, fails, fails you, even denies you by the way that we live. And yet Peter finds more than grace. He finds a Savior who wants to use him in the lives of others. And we pray that we would be, each of us, that kind of person. I pray specifically for any here today who have who've kind of been like those lifeguards at the pool, just kind of spiritually there, got their Bible at church, but I'm not active in making disciples, in pursuing Jesus and loving Him. Lord, I pray that there would be some here today that would, that would accelerate uh, their maturity and their growth in You. Father, others of us here today probably need to do something specific in response to what we have seen Peter do and what we've seen in John 21. I pray that you would make us faithful to that, whether it's reading the word or reaching out to someone or finding a plan, whatever it is, we ask God that you would help us to be changed and to have the joy and the passion and the willingness to give up worldly things to pursue and to advance your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Stand together as we sing.